One of the great privileges I have uh, as a pastor is that you pay me to study the Bible. Um, I'm not sure that's, that's right. Um, we ought to just study the Bible anyway, but I'm not asking you to change it. I really, I do want the income. I, but it is quite an honor, isn't it? I, to be able to study the Bible uh, throughout the week and, and people actually pay for it. And I've just loved this Rediscovering Jesus series that we've been going through because when you study the Bible, you're routinely surprised. Even though you may have read it a hundred times over, and this week was uh, no less than that. I was surprised again as I looked at the topic of forgiveness through the lens of the story. What surprised me actually were two authors who called something to my attention that I don't want to say I knew, I sort of knew, but not the way they said it. One author, um, his name is uh, Cliff Schimmel, a Jewish author. Another is Scott McKnight, a Christian author. Both of them basically said the same thing as it related to forgiveness. They basically said it was a uniquely Christian idea. The notion of forgiveness, the way Jesus told us to forgive. Or let me put it a different way. Scott McKnight, the Christian theologian, said there are just no accounts in the Old Testament either in the law with Moses and the commandments or in the prayers of David or in the prophets where God commands us to forgive our neighbors explicitly. Not the way Jesus does. Forgiveness was a divine act that was the prerogative of God. And primarily in the Old Testament, God forgave repentant sinners. There's virtually no reference to God forgiving unrepentant sinners. But remember the life and the words of Jesus. Jesus challenged us to forgive our neighbors just like God had forgiven us. And furthermore, he illustrated that forgiveness was by definition unmerited. You don't deserve forgiveness, but I want you to forgive anyway, says Jesus. And Jesus actually forgave the unrepentant. You say, Bob, you're going over the edge. No, no, I'm not. Think about Jesus on the cross. What are the remarkable words that he utters among others? Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Don't know what they're doing? They were killing him. They knew what they were doing. Well, maybe you say, he meant, they don't know I'm truly the Son of God, but he'd claim to be. The point is, the people who killed Jesus were not asking Jesus for forgiveness, and Jesus said to the Father, please forgive them. Jesus' notion of forgiveness 
is radical and revolutionary. And I would suggest, though I didn't have enough time to study it all week, that it transformed Western society. Because it basically didn't exist before Jesus. Not this way. But it's hard, isn't it? Forgiveness. It's really a difficult task. And why is forgiveness so hard? Well, one reason it's hard is pretty simple. We've been harmed when we're asked to forgive. When Jesus calls us to forgive someone, he's calling us to forgive someone who has harmed us. And that's just hard to do. We have a sense of justice. When we're harmed, we want to get back at them. And at the very least, even if we don't get back at them, we don't feel like we're obligated to forgive because they did the harm, not us. That's one reason dif forgiveness is difficult. You know, there's another reason forgiveness is often difficult. It's, it's well, it's because we're self-centered. Often, little harm has been done to us. By anybody else's definition, except by our own, little harm has been done, and we're so self-centered and so self-consumed that we stumble over the notion of forgiveness because life is all about us. That's one of the reasons that forgiveness is so difficult. I think a third reason forgiveness is so difficult is because frequently we just misunderstand. You know that, right? You, you know on occasion where you actually thought someone had something against you? You actually thought someone had done something against you? Someone had wronged you? And the reality is nobody had wronged you. No one had ill intent. But inside your own introspective self, you misunderstood. No harm done. No harm intended. But still, you're just as wounded as if it had happened. That's one of the troubles we have with forgiveness. It's, it's us. We could go on, couldn't we? But let me just mention one other that came to mind. I think it's a huge one. We have trouble with forgiveness because we have rights. We have a notion of rights. A few cultures in the history of the world have a notion of rights that's as high as ours. In the United States of America, all of us have trouble, but we really have trouble with it because we have rights. And part of our right, we think, is to hold a grudge against the person who harmed us. As if it is the bar of justice the holding of the grudge against that one who has offended us. We've got rights. So if forgiveness is difficult for those and other reasons, what is forgiveness? The first thing I mentioned, and, and I lean heavily on several authors this week, one of them, Walter Wangren, um, who has an absolutely wonderful book entitled, As for Me and My House a book that talks about marriage, and in that particular book, there's a couple of chapters related to forgiveness, and the forgiveness is between a husband and a wife. Uh, if you don't understand forgiveness or the lack of it, you'll understand it when you get married, right? 
The closer you are to the one you love, the more difficult these issues become. And, and he explores the notion of forgiveness from a biblical perspective. And one of the things he reminds us of is that forgiveness is a giving up of our rights. When we forgive the other, we refuse at that point. We refuse to exercise our moral and legal rights to hold a grudge. Because honestly, my friends, you have a right to hold a grudge. Remember the passage that was just read? The unforgiving servant wasn't wrong. What I mean by that is he wasn't wrong to say that he had been offended. He had not been paid what was justly his. He wasn't wrong in that regard. And actually, according to the law, he was not even wrong in his response. But if he were to follow Jesus' advice or to follow his master's advice in the parable, he would have given up his right and he would have forgiven his servant in spite of the fact that his servant did not deserve forgiveness. Because that's what forgiveness is. It's giving up our rights, our rights to justice, our rights even to hold a grudge. We refuse to engage our compensatory damages approach to life. We ask for no reparations when we completely forgive. We refuse to engage that legal doctrine of punitive damages, like you're going to pay me this for what you've robbed me and this beyond because I've been under a lot of mental stress over this one and it's incalculable and I'll put a price tag on it. No, we don't do that when we forgive. We release that right too. And we enter when we release our rights into a strange world of mercy. Mercy, which says, I don't have to be here, but I will. I've got a right to hold it against you, but I won't. That's what forgiveness is. It's surrendering our rights. A second thing that forgiveness is, is it's giving notice to the other. As a matter of fact, you know, it's not saintly to suffer in silence. We think it is, but it's not. To suffer in silence does you no good, and it does the one who harmed you really no good. To suffer in silence is only to nurse a grudge that's deep down inside of you. It's kind of a false humility, and it doesn't serve you or the other person's best interest. It's not honest communication, and it doesn't help. So suffering in silence and pretending that forgiveness means not saying anything, it's really not true forgiveness. True forgiveness is actually naming the offense and speaking to the individual about the harm so that it is well-defined so that the individual who's harmed you can understand what it is you're forgiving him or her for. That kind of forgiveness, I believe to be honest forgiveness, and I would say even biblical forgiveness. Not to suffer in silence, but to give notice. I know, for instance, uh, in my marriage, um, it works that way. I can walk around sulking and pouting, 
about something I feel that my wife has done to me. I can suffer in silence. You know how much fun that is in the house, right? (laughs) The silence is deafening. And she says, what's wrong? And I say, say it for me, nothing. And it really erodes the relationship. But when I say, you really hurt me when you said this or did this, then the doorway for forgiveness is open. You know, she might respond to me, oh, quit being such a baby. Um, And she'd probably be right. (laughs) But it doesn't matter whether I was a baby or not, right? I was hurt, and I've still got the opportunity to forgive. Or she may say to me, I understand, I shouldn't have said that, I was out of bounds, my words hurt you, and I say to her right up front, I forgive you. I love you and I forgive you, let's move on. None of that would be possible if I didn't give notice, would it? Or if she didn't give notice to me. Suffering in silence wouldn't be helpful. Giving notice would be helpful. It's part of forgiveness. There's something else. There could be a lot of things said about what forgiveness is, but there's something else uh, that we sometimes forget, but really is obvious in the Scripture, is forgiveness is essentially giving the other person over to God. When you forgive another, you turn that person over to God. You say to God, I am not going to judge them. I'm not going to hold them accountable for the harm they've given me. And furthermore, God, I'm not going to be the judge of what their punishment needs to be. I'm turning them over to you. They are yours. You know, the irony of turning people over to God is when you turn that person over to God, you release yourself from slavery then you're free to love and to live. Because beforehand, the wrong and especially the grudge was the thing that held you captive. It was the thing that wore you out. And when you turn them over to God, you experience freedom. There's another good reason to turn them over to God. Unless you're a remarkable individual, and I'm not, I am not the kind of person who could be an impartial judge. The harm was against me. I would do myself no good and I would do them no good to figure out what would be a just punishment for the crime. As a matter of fact, you know that's reflected in our courts of law. The importance of law and other people being the judge, is that we can't do it. Self is too wrapped up in our judgment. So we turn them over to God, the impartial judge, to do as God chooses to do with them. I, I know that you know that forgiveness can be abused. 
I know that you know, like I know, that there's some common errors related to forgiveness. And when we talk about forgiveness, it's probably important to remind ourselves of a couple of those. I think one common error concerning forgiveness is that forgiveness is somehow completely incompatible with consequences or judgment, especially as it relates to God. Sometimes we think that God is the ultimate person who demonstrates forgiveness, and for that reason, God's forgiveness is incompatible with God's judgment. But you see in the Scripture, you don't see it like that. The one who is God, who is the ultimate judge and does judge sin and people and the earth, that same God is full of compassion and forgiveness. One does not cancel out the other. And just because I'm able to forgive an individual, it doesn't cancel out the judgment of God against them, and it doesn't cancel out the consequences of the harm they've done to me. If you abused me all my life, and I'm so grateful that that wasn't my situation, if you were my father and you abused me all my life, I could get to a place that I could forgive you. But the consequences of your abuse towards me and the consequences of your abuse upon you remain. There's consequences to sin, and it's not necessarily incompatible with forgiveness. Second thing, I think it's often a misunderstanding concerning forgiveness. Sometimes we think forgiveness is the same thing as forgetting, right? You know the famous phrase, forgive and forget. Uh, Not only is that not true, it's not healthy. Uh, to forgive and forget, or to put it another way, to pretend as though it never happened, which is often what that phrase means, is what people call repressed memories. And those are certainly not helpful. As a matter of fact, the bitterness of repressed memories will likely explode on you in other places and in other times and against innocent individuals which I believe is why routinely those who are abused as children become the abusers later in life. It's just a statistical reality. Many times it's because they've never dealt with this issue deeply. So forgiveness is not identical with forgetting and forgiveness is not incompatible with consequences or judgment. And forgiveness It doesn't mean we ignore the issue. It means we speak to the issue. There's another thing I I think is a, a common misunderstanding of forgiveness, and that is that time heals all wounds. That too is not true. If if I could use Connie's story as an illustration, you just heard it. She had an encounter with a counselor, and the counselor said there's something inside there. And Connie basically said, no, there's not. Or to put it another way, her words meant, no, no, time time has healed those wounds. I, I know that was a problem, but I don't have an issue with my mother. Yes, she did. 
Because time doesn't fix it. Only forgiveness does. So it's not true that time heals all wounds. The final thing I want to mention, I've talked about forgiveness before, and I can't talk about forgiveness without reminding all of you of this. Forgiveness does not mean we return to the abuser. Forgiveness does not mean that I say to that one who abuses me, physically or other ways, I forgive you, now beat up on me more. If you have the ability to move away from the abuse, that's what you should do. You can forgive even an abuser, but you need not return to the abuse. That's not healthy. Just a few practical steps for us as we uh, conclude the topic of forgiveness. Um, It's this. One of the most important parts of forgiveness is well, to be realistic. If you're going to take steps, steps towards forgiveness, you need to be realistic about it. I mentioned Walter Wangren. He's got a wonderful way of writing, and he spoke about this uh, uh, in the book that I mentioned. I want to read you just a section of it. Uh, listen to it. He says, ask three questions when you're going to forgive. What was the sin Exactly right? Identify the immediate sin without the heat of emotions if you're going to forgive. Focusing on what was done rather than how it made you feel. Identify that sin without leaping to conclusions regarding the character of your spouse, because he's talking about marriage at this point. Just simply identify the sin. Exactly what was it? Don't extrapolate. Don't exaggerate. Just identify the sin. That's a step towards forgiveness. Another step towards forgiveness is to ask this question, against whom was the sin actually committed? It's not a silly question, he says. Even if you first felt this sin as a pain inside yourself, for the sinner may, in fact, have struck at himself or herself more than at you. And your pain may have come because you loved him or her. You will act differently if he's the one suffering destruction and if the sin was against you, then against which part of you? Your authority? Your trust in him? Your body? Your plans? Or simply against your desire to enjoy a quiet day? Against whom was the sin actually committed? Those are important questions. I love this one because it lightens it a bit, especially with me. He says if you're going to take steps towards forgiveness, ask these questions. And the third is, what exactly are the consequences of the sin? Or in other words, (laughs) what exactly was destroyed or damaged? Your sofa, (laughs) your pride, a car battery, the future of your children. Come on, there is a difference, right? There's a big difference between the future of my children 
and a dent in my car. So when I take steps towards forgiveness, I need to be realistic about what it is I'm forgiving the person for. It helps in the process. A second step towards forgiveness is, well, it's to experience the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, for Christians, I believe that's the starting point. And I also believe that for many of us as Christians, we only understand it in the tiniest parts. We understand it in the most general of senses. Jesus forgives us of sins. But when we really receive the forgiveness of sins from Jesus, I mean really take it into our souls. It's a tremendous step, a freeing step, towards forgiving the other. And very closely related to that is when you have received Christ's forgiveness, remember it. Remember what he's forgiven you for. Remember how badly you'd sinned. And remember that you're free because of Christ's forgiveness. And if you remember that, or you remember the parable that we just went through, if you remember that, you won't be like that servant who grabbed his fellow servant by the collar and said, pay up. Because in the background, you'll remember what Christ forgave you of. Oh, by the way, back to the text. It's hard to determine how much the king or the master forgave the first servant of. But some people calculate that it was a billion dollars or more. Why? Because Jesus was creating a parable for an expressed purpose. The debt was overwhelming. There was no way this man could pay him back. And with that understanding of forgiveness, he confronts his fellow servant and demands that his fellow servant pay back pennies in comparison or be thrown in jail. Jesus, in effect, says, if you understand what God has forgiven you, how can you possibly not forgive the other? Do it. It's a demonstration of your understanding of forgiveness. So, what's the practical advice in conclusion? Here it is, very simply. I think all of us can do this one. Every one of us. We can say to ourselves right now, who is it that I need to forgive? You have the picture? Don't focus on all 15. It'll get all messed up. Just. Just pick one. Who is it I need to forgive? Second question, what was really the offense? Clarify it for yourself. And third question, how am I going to do it? There may be a variety of ways. It may be to speak to the person individually. It may be to write them a letter. It may be to write them a letter and never deliver it. It may be to forgive them 
and never speak it. There's multiple ways to extend forgiveness depending on the situation. But you know who it is. How are you going to do it? I think Jesus would approve. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for what you have forgiven us, which is everything. We thank you for the life that we've received because forgiveness has been granted. Because our sins have been entirely, according to a ledger, which was too long to even count, they've been washed away by the grace of your sacrificial atonement on the cross. We thank you, Lord, for that forgiveness. And we pray that you will allow us the grace to walk out of this place today and forgive others the same way. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.